Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the OSHA 3030 with Manish Rath. I'm Manish Rath, and we are coming to you from Keller and Heckman's Washington, D.C. offices. Uh, and this is probably around the 77th or 78th episode of the OSHA 3030. This is a program that we do every month in about every 30 days, and we try and cover a new developing area of OSHA law in about 30 minutes. Uh, today our topic is a recent uh, Review Commission Administrative Law Judge decision relating to the employer's duty to participate in an OSHA citation contest in good faith once they've noted uh, their contest. And I'm very fortunate today because I'm joined by my dear friend, my colleague, and one of the deans of OSHA law anywhere in the country, and that is my partner, David Sarvati, here at Keller and Heckman. David, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, great to be here, Manish. Uh, this is a very interesting topic. I'm glad you asked me to join you. Well, David, as you know, uh, as I should move on to say I'm Manish Rath, and I'm a partner here at Keller and Heckman as well. David, as you know, all of our uh, OSHA 3030 episodes are libraried on our website, khlaw.com slash OSHA3030. And as well, the, and by the way, those are slides and sound self-executing together. So it is as if you are actually here. But if you can't watch prior episodes of the OSHA 3030 from your desktop, you can still bring them on the go in the form of a podcast. So this episode, for example, will be available as a podcast sometime later today. They happen pretty quickly. And if you subscribe, then they'll just keep coming in to your favorite podcast media. So with that said, why don't we start, David, by talking about what we're going to talk about. Uh, it's an interesting case called Secretary of Labor versus Northpac Corporation. And first, we'll go over the facts of the case and then uh, get into a discussion of Northpac Corporation's participation in its own OSHA citation contest. Uh, we'll talk about the general principle of a duty of good faith by both participants in a, in a citation contest and then what the court did in that case, as well as what possible court remedies may be available to an administrative law judge. Finally, as we always do, we'll leave you, the listening participants in the OSHA 3030 community, with practical takeaway items in the form of what employers should do in light of the case Secretary of Labor versus Northpac Corporation. So let's get into the case. The case starts... Uh, yeah, David. Yeah, Monish, let's, uh, if we can, before we get started here, somebody asked a question about whether there's a public database of OSHA citations. There is a uh, citation uh, uh, table that's available on the uh, OSHA website through the uh, inspection, inspection Management Information System. Um, that does not include the uh, decisions in the case law that we're going to talk about. That's over at the... Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission, but if you're interested in getting a picture of the citations that are issued uh, annually, they can go to the OSHA website and look up the IMS database. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, David. And if uh, anyone has any difficulty in trying to, to use that uh, site, please feel free to check in with me by email or call, and I'll be happy to, to see if I can help out. Uh, so, so our case begins, interestingly enough, on one of the islands of the Northern Mariana Islands, 
the island of Saipan. That is the northernmost island in the archipelago of the Northern Mariana Islands, uh, the southernmost being Guam, the northernmost being Saip of the major islands being Saipan. And that's where this case takes place. North PAC Corporation is located on Saipan. Uh, now, the Northern Mariana Islands are a trust of the United States, and so OSHA has asserted its jurisdiction uh, over employers in the Northern Mariana Islands on Guam and on Saipan. And on Saipan, they, they conducted an inspection of Northpac Corporation's work site. And during the course of that investigation, they found what they alleged to be violations, one which they alleged as a serious violation of the personal protective equipment standard, and a couple of repeat violations, uh, allegations under the hazard communication standard. All told, those three alleged violations amounted to proposed penalties in the amount of just over $12,000. Uh, Northpac Corporation issued a notice of contest, and they did so in a timely fashion. I should point out that an employer, in order to be timely in filing their notice of contest, must do so within 15 working days. And there's almost no excuses. David Servati used to say, I can count on the fingers of one hand the number of cases employers have prevailed in trying to persuade an administrative law judge why there was good reason for uh, exceeding the 15-day limit on filing a notice of contest. Uh, 20 years later, you and I have been working together. I think that that rule of thumb still holds true. Uh, but in this case, North... David? It does finish, but uh, people shouldn't confuse the 30-day that's on the slide with the requirement to file a notice of contest in 15 days. That's exactly right. Thank you for pointing that out. The notice of contest limit is 15 working days. And, and North Pac timely filed that. Uh, we'll get, we're going to talk about the 30-day deadline in a moment. So when an employer files a notice of contest, the next thing that happens is the Department of Labor now has a duty to file a complaint. And once that complaint is filed, that begins an administrative law version of a litigation process. So a complaint's filed, then the employer has the opportunity to file an answer. And after the, those initial pleadings are filed, uh, an administrative law judge is assigned to a case and may prescribe a scheduling order. That scheduling order will call for the commencement of discovery. And discovery is essentially the exchange of information between the parties. So as soon as that happened, OSHA issued discovery requests. It issued three types of discovery requests, the big three which were written interrogatories. These are essentially written questions that demand a written answer. They requested that Northpac Corporation produce a, a set of documents that were specifically requested for by OSHA. And OSHA issued a request for admissions. These are essentially uh, requests that Northpac either admit or deny certain basic facts. I find these to be helpful. I think parties should engage in this request for admission process in good faith because the result can be a nice set of stipulated facts that the parties do not need to undergo the costly steps of litigating. Uh, I also, however, find that uh, I'm sometimes the only one in a litigation that, that has that good faith view of the value of requests for admissions. Uh, but you should always, when you find yourself in litigation or in citation contests, consider the value of requests for admissions. OSHA did, and they issued these three. Now, this is where the 30-day deadline that, David, you were describing comes into play. Once those requests, those discovery requests are issued, 
the opposing party, the recipient of those requests, has 30 days to respond to those requests. OSHA alleged in that particular instance to the administrative law judge that NorthPAC had failed to meet its 30-day deadline to respond. In some cases, there were some requests that it alleged NorthPAC had failed to respond to at all. In other cases, there were other requests that OSHA alleged, yeah, NorthPAC did file a response, but it was an inadequate response. It was incomplete or it didn't fully address the request. Uh, So in some way, it was was an inadequate response. And they asked for relief. They said to the administrative law judge, we'd like you to order them to respond to these requests and to do so in the next uh, 15 days. I should point out that NorthPAC was uh, entering into this citation contest pro se, which is merely Latin for it was representing itself. It did not engage counsel to represent it. When the judge reviewed this motion to compel discovery, it asked the respondent to identify its basis for non-responses. And the folk at NorthPAC, NorthPAC was represented by its general manager at that establishment. The general manager said, well, look, some of these discovery requests are complicated to understand. Many of them are uh, very burdensome and complicated to figure out. The judge, in his order compelling discovery, stated that the complexity of the discovery requests will not suffice to relieve NorthPAC of its duty to make at least a good faith effort to try and respond to interrogatories and produce documents. Uh, It doesn't matter that it's complex. You have to try and figure it out. You have to reach out to opposing counsel. Uh, You have to find your own counsel. You have to do whatever you have to to try and uh, solve the problem of the complexity of these requests. So the judge issued an order and uh, compelling the folk at NorthPAC to respond to those discovery requests. And NorthPAC still failed to provide adequate responses. OSHA went back to the administrative law judge and sought sanctions for what now was NorthPAC's repeated failure to comply not only with the discovery requests, but also with, uh, with, the, ju- with the administrative law judge's order and, and with the clear rules that are set forth in the Occupational Safety and Health Review, uh, rules of, uh, Review Commission's Rules of Procedure. David, I don't recollect if any of the cases that you and I have worked on, you and I have worked on citation contests around the country in state plan states and in federal OSHA states. And I don't recollect any instances where this has come up because I think that you and I have both always tried to develop a cooperative working relationship with uh, OSHA counsel from the Department of Labor's Office of the Solicitor and try and get them what they need, try and make sure we get what uh, our clients need, the employer needs. Uh, are you aware of any other cases that I might not be where you've encountered this in the OSHA context? I am not, Mike, because I, like you, I feel that the uh, opportunity to conduct discovery and answer questions, particularly in regard to the request for admissions, generally gives you a leg up on the case and saves the client money because you don't have to litigate those items. And so, um, you know, lawyers that are doing that on behalf of a client are doing the client a disservice because they're spending money the client otherwise wouldn't have to spend. And they're, they're really not helping the court get through the process of determining whether or not the client has uh, violated the law or not. And 
my experience with these notices of contest is it rarely is a case that the employer has no basis for making the uh, claims in the notice of contest. Um, indeed, the, oftentimes the penalties are associated with the citations are low, and what's going on is the employer is trying to make sure that whatever OSHA expects from the compliance standpoint doesn't upset the apple cart as far as the normal operations are concerned. So I, I think it's important to conduct discovery effectively and to take advantage of it, and that means operating in good faith and um, you know, developing a respectful uh, and sometimes cordial working relationship with opposing counsel. It buys you far more with sugar than with vinegar. Yeah, I think... I think that's right. And uh, and so here, and one more thing, in the administrative law judge context, the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission context, once a judge is assigned to a case, the judge owns the case. This is different from uh, Article Three federal courts where sometimes discovery disputes are handled by a magistrate and a judge will then handle the trial. It's certainly different than a lot of state court states here in the Commonwealth of Virginia where I first uh, entered the bar. The the uh, county, the circuit courts, uh, every time you go forward on a motion or a discovery dispute, it is assigned to a different judge who handles the docket that week. And then whoever the judge is in the week of trial before a precipice is filed, that might be an altogether different judge. So here, when North PAC is finding itself before the administrative law judge again and again for its repeated uh, uh, negligence or refusal to respond to discovery requests, it is distracting the judge from its actual bases, Northpac's actual bases for defending itself from the merits of the alleged citation. And it is also perhaps prejudicing itself with the aura of being a bad actor if, if indeed it's possible to create the presumption that a bad actor in good faith participation in, in a litigation also might, uh, might look like the same kind of bad faith in complying with OSHA regulations. It's just not, not a good look when trying to uh, contest the underlying merits of a citation to, to have to explain these discovery disputes. So with that said, uh, the Review Commission comes back to North PAC and says, well, you've had another 14 days, and there's still n- inadequate responses. Uh, North PAC again says, look, we're confused, and we find the, the request complex. The judge said there's a difference between the idea that you're being uh, uh, overwhelmed by the complexity of these discovery requests and merely uh, showing bad faith or showing disrespect towards the powers of the judge. Here, now you're under a judge's uh, order to, to comply, and this is simply not the same as your initial instance where you had not replied to the discovery requests. The judge also noted that uh, that North PAC had been brought before the Review Commission in a separate citation, in a separate investigation several years earlier, and had also been uh, the subject of an allegation by OSHA that they had uh, engaged in a similar pattern of disregard for discovery requests. And in that prior case, the judge had similarly, a different judge had uh, dismissed the withdrawal of a citation of contest. Uh, this judge found that that was evidence of a pattern of disregard for the powers of the administrative law judge, rather than just taking at face value North PAC's argument that it was merely confused by the complexity of the requests. So it issued an opinion, and it said, look, we, uh, based on this repetitive deficiency in responses to discovery, uh, we and, and the 
onset of a judge's specific order compelling responses, uh, we find that North PAC's conduct uh, exhibited a pattern of bad faith and uh, contempt for the powers of the administrative law judge or contumacious conduct. And thus, uh, the, the sanction issued by the administrative law judge was to dismiss the, the contest uh, and, th- and thereby implement the citations as issued by OSHA, essentially withdrawing the, the notice of contest by NorthPAC. Uh, so in a certain extent, I'd say that that is a uh, that is the hammer clause for for sanctions uh, because North PAC did not respond to discovery. The judge said, well, then you don't get a chance to defend yourself and imposed the citations, upheld the citations and the penalty. If there's a more stringent step that the judge could have taken we will certainly discuss all of the other sanction powers that the judge has at his disposal. But I, I want to talk about this element that the judge described in his opinion, and that is this idea of a requirement of good faith, that, that every discovery response has to be provided by a party in good faith. That's implicit and explicit in the rules of discovery. Uh, that when when one party issues a discovery request, another party has to exhibit good faith on a number of different fronts. One, to to try and reach out to opposing counsel to try and understand the question better if there's a ambiguity, rather than merely objecting on the basis of the ambiguity. Number two, uh, to faithfully look for uh, the the documents being requested or the answers to the questions being asked. Uh, wherever they, the information may be reposed, and not merely to say that this is overburdensome or I don't know where to find it or we may not have any such documents, but, but to say that there are no such documents requires implicitly that you have done everything you can to locate the existence of these documents and are assured that with any degree of diligence, these documents could not be found or don't exist. That's another aspect of good faith. Another aspect of good faith is that when an answer is provided by a respondent to a discovery request, that the response is as complete and uh, unambiguous or not misleading as can possibly be. Uh, There is one more. When, When you talk about documents, if... Uh, sometimes parties will will provide a massive amount of documents in response to a large number of requests for documents, and they should either be provided in the order th- in which they're stored, or they need to be provided in the order in which they're requested, or some other logical order, rather than uh, finding ways to deliberately bring confusion to the produ- document production process uh, by the manner in which they're produced. So all of these are varying aspects of the duty of good faith. In other words, I I would implore our clients and anyone listening to the OSHA 3030 that cleverness or anything that an administrative law judge could view as shenanigans is simply not going to be smiled upon by the administrative law judge. They're not going to forgive a clever solution they're only going to expect, uh, in 25 years of experience in litigating, I've, I've found that judges expect the parties just to roll their sleeves and work cooperatively together to exchange the discovery necessary to isolate the precise uh, and precisely defined boundaries of what is in dispute and what the parties actually can agree on. 
that, I think, is the best plain English summary of what this doctrine of good faith in discovery constitutes. David, your thoughts on that? Gosh, I think that's right. I think the, the notion of good faith is something that people need to keep in mind. It requires more than just uh, a pro forma effort at providing the answers. You really do need to review your records and um, determine whether or not the uh, facts are, have been accurately collected by the agency, by the government. I think that's one area where, you know, discovery is going to help you a lot because I have found, and honestly, I know you've seen this as well, uh, the inspectors tend only to collect the facts that support the allegations of a violation, and they tend to ignore things that might undermine that position. So I take an advantage of discovery to try to sort those things out at the beginning, as I said earlier, generally saves the client money. Right. I agree. Now, now, not only is this concept of good faith uh, implicit in the discovery rules and the expectation of every judge I've certainly encountered in my many uh, litigation matters, but it's also ex- in the uh, Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission rules, uh, it's also explicitly written that in the interrogatories rule, answers shall be made in good faith and as completely as the answering party's information will permit. Again, in the request for admissions, the responding party, if they interpose a denial uh, to a request for an admission, they must, in good faith, uh, qualify their answer or explain the basis of their denial or uh, admit the portion of the request that is admittable and deny only the remainder that, that they can specifically deny. So you see the term good faith explicitly written into the Review Commission rules. Uh, so we, we promised that we'd talk about the court's remedies. In this case involving NorthPAC, the administrative law judge said, all right, here's my remedy. You, NorthPAC, your notice of contest is now withdrawn. You, therefore, have no defense to the citations. The citations are upheld. The proposed penalty is upheld. If there were a uh, proposed uh, method of abatement, that would have been upheld. Uh, it essentially would have been the same result as if the citation was issued and the respondent didn't file a notice of contest at all. That is the sanction that the judge issued in the NorthPAC case. There are others I should point out, and I've seen all of these either at debate or actually implemented in many of my litigation cases. As I said before, not in my OSHA citation contest cases, but in many of my other litigation cases, I've seen these come up. Those discovery requests where a respondent did not respond in good faith, according to the court, the court could say that those issues at stake in that discovery request would have essentially been uh, facts that could be inferred in the light most favorable to the requesting party. Another, as we talked about, in this case, uh, as applied by NorthPAC, uh, in the NorthPAC case, the judge could simply dismiss the contest action. Another is that the judge could treat the failure to obey as contempt of court. And the contempt of court concept does impose restrictions or uh, penalties on not only the party, but potentially counsel, uh, depending on the judge's view of where the, uh, the non-cooperation or the lack of good faith is emanating from. Uh, and then finally, in addition to that, as if all of that were not enough, a judge could order the party exhibiting bad faith 
to pay reasonable expenses and attorney's fees uh, that were caused by the failure to uh, exhibit good faith. And I'll say that I've had a case dismissed. I've been on, on the other side of this. I've had a case where I've issued discovery requests and gotten no responses, gotten inadequate responses. Uh, and in those cases, I've, I've tried my hardest to bring the opposing party around to a more cooperative state. And when you uh, lack the means to bring the opposing party to a, a cooperative state where they're willing to comply, I've had no choice but to seek relief from the court. And the court will uh, order uh, compulsory production of discovery requests. And if that still doesn't uh, result in a satisfactory outcome. I've had a case where recently where uh, a case was against my client was dismissed. And so whatever allegations were brought against the employer I represented were dismissed entirely. So so these are powers that the courts are willing to exercise, uh, including not only having the case dismissed, but then being able to go after the plaintiff for, for reasonable expenses or attorney's fees caused by their failure to exhibit good faith. So employers in the OSHA citation contest concept or context should be very wary of this administrative law judge power. Uh, these judges, the judge in this case, as well as the prior North Pack case, we know them. We've spoken with them many times, David and I, and uh, I think that they're very reasonable people. Everyone in the OSHA bar would agree that the judge in the North Pack case is a very reasonable person, and so was the administrative law judge in the prior case involving North Pack. So I believe, as a consequence of that conclusion, that this was a, a sanction that the judge, I think, very reluctantly felt he had no choice but to administer. Uh, that, that should be, I think, maybe the most telling feature of this case, or, or why we found it so compelling to be selected for this month's OSHA 3030. So... In light of the North Pack case, I guess this leaves us all with some basic uh, questions on our minds. What, in light of the North Pack case, should employers do? Well, to be clear, we've said it already, employers ought to reorient themselves towards looking at these discovery requests, rolling up their sleeves, figuring out how they can produce the documents requested, and to be diligent in their search for documents or information that's responsive to these requests. The other I'd say is when there are confusing or ambiguous questions uh, raised in discovery, uh, requests raised in discovery, I think that it's incumbent upon the employer through counsel to work with OSHA's counsel in the Department of Labor's Office of the Solicitor to try and clarify the ambiguities, to try and work with them to fashion a better request. And I've had cases where I've tried to get them to rewrite the request a little bit uh, more sensibly, and sometimes opposing counsel in, in private uh, lit uh, civil litigation have refused to do so. Most of the time, however, I think that, uh, that that is in the best interests of the requesting party. So if I point out a confusion or an ambiguity to request, I think it's in the best interests of the opposing party to try and rewrite it so that they can get some enforceability to their request. Uh, to merely ignore my complaint about uh, the ambiguity or, or confusing nature of the request would be, I think, put, to put peril on one's own self uh, once I've pointed that out to them. The other thing I'd say is it's important as soon as a scheduling order is issued by an administrative law judge to immediately start propounding request, discover requests of your own. David, as you pointed out, sometimes the compliance officer has 
issued citations on the basis of very, uh, either intentionally or unintentionally, very carefully selected data that supports a view of an alleged violation. And your ability as an employer to discover more facts from the agency will empower you to bring more effective defenses uh, to bear against those citations, alleged uh, violations. I think you, you, will, you will remember the uh, case we had in about 15, 18 years ago where it was clear that the inspector had um, been playing games with the record. Um, I think in that case we even thought we caught him manufacturing evidence. But I do want to point out that that's very much the exception to the rule. My experience with the inspectors is um, many of them are, are, like a lot of government employees, uh, faithful to their task and to their uh, job and try to do the right thing. But they do oftentimes bring a perspective to the task that is not favorable to the employer. And uh, you do need to take advantage of that discovery process to try to understand who your opponent is and, and to understand their strengths and weaknesses of the case that they have. So, um, Manish, I think, you know, your points about uh, making a, a concerted good faith effort to conduct discovery effectively works out in t in to advantage both sides. And it's uh, too bad that there are attorneys out there who don't take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, that's right. And I think there's one more hazard to, that I think we ought to point out to our, our OSHA 3030 community, and that's that a judge may assign a case to an easy track, which eliminates discovery and uh, uh, sort of prevents the employer from getting any, any more facts, even though the uh, folks at OSHA have had a, a fair opportunity to gather their facts through the inspection process. Uh, in other words, to be clear, a uh, compliance safety and health officer has the opportunity to request documents as a feature of the inspection itself, then can issue a cita uh, citation and alleged violations. And then if an administrative law judge puts a case on an easy track, the employer does not have that same opportunity to conduct discovery. And I think that that's a real sand trap for employers, particularly because sometimes, in my view, judges would see a case as deserving of an easy track, and I think that it's more complicated and deserves uh, the more prolonged track, which includes discovery. So all of this, I think, illustrates the importance of one of NorthPAC's preliminary decisions, which was to represent itself rather than to engage OSHA counsel. Uh, David Sarvati, when, when I think of some of the preliminary decisions that you and I have made, like uh, the elements to contest, whether or not to contest that it's easy track, uh, discovery requests, etc. cetera, uh, I really can't imagine the, the purpose or usefulness of trying to contest a case, but then to do so without experienced OSHA counsel. Uh, and so I think that maybe that is one of the most important takeaway items from the North Pack case. I think personally, I view it as folly to try and contest a case and then to handle it without OSHA counsel. requirement that the people who represent employers before the review commission be attorneys and so you can have uh, I've seen a lot of consultants out there who take advantage of that and have represented clients and, and employers before the review commission um, I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily a bad thing but uh, as you can see from this discussion there are complications to 
the process, and it is a legal process, and it's got rules, and if you don't know what the rules are and how to navigate them, it can cause a problem. I wanted to make one other point, Monish, before we close, and that is this employer is not characteristic of the kind of employers that we see all the time. I asked one of our associates to try to find out what happened in the prior cases, and apparently the cases have all been resolved against the employer, and yet OSHA is still trying to collect the penalties from the earlier, there were actually two cases earlier, and I suspect they're going to have the same problem with this one as well, and that's just going to lead to more aggravation and, and anger. And I, I would also point out that it's very bad uh, strategy to offend the judge. Um, if this had arisen in an Article III court, I have no doubt that this gentleman would have been seated in a jail somewhere until he decided either to hire counsel or to start behaving properly. He's very lucky that he was in an administrative proceeding and that the judge uh, wasn't the same judge that he had previously because I'm, would, I'd be surprised if there weren't more severe sanctions uh, based on both the conduct in this case, the prior conduct, and also the problems with the uh, penalty collection. So, Monish, um, I'm glad to say we've never had to represent a client like this, and I hope you never do. <laughs> with that, David, you have the last word for today's OSHA 3030. Uh, thank you all for participating for future uh, developments between now and the next OSHA 3030. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter. As I mentioned before, we're available as a podcast through your favorite podcast streaming channels like uh, Apple iTunes, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and Spotify, I think, we're, is our newest member of our uh, OSHA 3030 family. Our next OSHA 3030 will be on January 22 at 1 p.m., always on a Wednesday, always at 1 p.m. To register, you can go to khlaw.com. Uh, don't forget about our sister programs. If your organization is responsible for compliance with TSCA, REACH, or FIFRA, uh, we have sister programs, the TSCA 3030, REACH 3030, and FIFRA 3030, uh, coming up on January 15th for TSCA and, and REACH. And uh, finally, as I've always implored, with gratitude to you for those of you who have done so, uh, when you get the invitation to the next OSHA 3030, please, please forward it on to three new members of your community so that we can continue attracting new members to the community uh, and keep the program going for hopefully many more years to come. With that, I want to thank first you, David Servati, for joining us. I'm very grateful to you. I want to thank, finally, all of you in the OSHA 3030 community for participating and for spreading the good word about the program. And I look forward to seeing you again in January. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>